Hello and welcome to Sundays at Coastal. This week, Pastor Andy continues the sermon series in Luke chapter 1 in a sermon titled Mary's Trust. We assume hardship and difficulty are evidence that God has failed us. All of us wonder how God is going to accomplish his good and pleasing plan in the face of impossible situations. What is this wonder? It is a wonder of joy because we believe God will come through. A wonder of hope because we trust God is good. And a wonder of love because we know God is head over heels in love with us. God overcomes our failures and our terrible wounds. God overcomes the brokenness of this world and all its gritty details of want and need. No word from God ever fails. We are so glad you're here. Oh my gosh, Matt and the band, thank you. That was so great. It's so great. Uh, so much fun. So much fun. Uh, if you are new or visiting with us this morning, welcome. We do this every week, and uh, so we're glad you're here. Uh, for those of you online, welcome. We're so glad that you're here with us this morning. Uh, so I want to uh, introduce you to our church and to what we believe. We believe three things. We're called to bring, uh, we're to, called to trust our risen Savior, and He is alive and He's present and man, he's doing good things. And, and we got to see Maggie be a part of that story this week. It was so cool. Uh, and I just, I'm so excited about what God is doing here. It's remarkable. And then lastly, we get to bring restoration. We get to bring restoration right where we are. And we're doing that in so many incredible ways. You know, we, we have spent, I think this year, um, somewhere over $80,000 uh, in, in the deacon fund. That's just helping people in our church, which means you've given $80,000 this year to people in need in our church. And then this last week, we had spent it all the way down to nothing, and then that very day, somebody gave a large check, and now we get to spend all that money again. Uh, so I just, I'm so grateful for you guys, because... Uh, there are, there are so many parents in this church that didn't know how they were going to do Christmas for their kids this year, and you made that happen. So praise God. Thank you. Each one of these truths, that there's hope beyond our brokenness, that we get to trust in our risen Savior and bring restoration, comes with a choice that we make every day with Jesus. So let's declare this together like we do every week. We are disciples who walk intentionally with God. Therefore, I choose to be changed by Jesus. I choose to seek Jesus first, and I choose to join Jesus in his resurrection work. Um, what, what, I, got a, I got a text this week from uh, a guy in our church. He goes to the second service. His name is Sherrod, and he's a trainer. He's been working me out so that I, I've had one ab for a long time. <laughs> And I'm hoping for two. Uh, and so Sherrod is amazing. And uh, Sherrod got to work out with Samuel uh, this last week. That's right, buddy. You got to work out with Sherrod. It was awesome. And uh, I just realized that, that, uh, that all of these ways in which we're connecting, like we did that rainbow dance party a couple weeks back, which was just absolutely epic. And it came from... It came from our prayer retreat that we've been doing where we're all praying together and it was Suzanne's turn and she said, well, before I pray, I, I, I need to, do, to, have, 
to have a quick dance with my son because we do this every day at five, <laughs> right? And Debbie and I, Debbie is Zed's mom, Debbie and I were leading the prayer retreat and Debbie says, well, we need to have a dance party then. So right there in the prayer retreat, we had a dance party with Samuel and Suzanne over the phone. And then Debbie said, no, 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 no. We're doing a dance party. <laughs> and so I just, I need to thank Debbie for that because uh, that prayer uh, that has been answered of our church loving people with disabilities happened because Debbie said, we're gonna have a dance party. Uh, so thank you, Debbie. Thank you very much. So can I, can I have permission to speak to your heart of hearts today? Because we're going to be talking about Mary. And uh, I got stuff. I, every week, uh, the, the joy and the terror of preaching is that you will go through the passage that week, whether you like it or not. Uh, and so this week, uh, this week, I went through it. And I want to share with you uh, what I learned. But can we... Can we pray? Would that be okay? So Jesus, again, we pray protection over this time and space. Lord, bless this time. God, bless those who hear it here and those online. And we bind up and cast out everything opposed to Jesus that's here that would be uh, bothering us or distracting us. Lord, open our hearts, open our ears that we might hear you. We don't want to do this life alone. And so we trust you, Jesus, and we love you. And for those who are this morning that, that don't yet know or don't yet know if they want to trust you, God, we pray that this might be a step in their journey uh, towards knowing you because, God, when we know you, we can't help but just to be like Mary and say, I'm all yours. In Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said... Okay, so uh, what's Advent? Uh, Advent is an old Latin word that means arrival. And uh, the church for 2,000 years has been taking time before uh, Christmas to celebrate Jesus' arrival. It's a time of preparation. It's the same idea of Lent. Have you ever heard that word before? Lent is the 40 days, uh, four or five weeks before Easter. And so that's also the time where we prepare ourselves for what Jesus did for us on the cross. And so uh, these are old ancient practices that we've had as a church. And so we, we do that again today. And so we read these passages uh, from the Gospels to help us uh, not only remember, maybe learn for the first time, but also prepare our hearts for what God is up to. Last week, if you were here, we read about um, these two... Uh, Seasoned saints, mature adults, uh, grown-ups. Uh, they were named uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth. They were, Zachariah was a priest. He's a pastor. Elizabeth is his wife. And uh, they received the news right before they're about to turn in the retirement papers that they're having a baby boy, John the Baptist. Um, and now Elizabeth is Mary's aunt. So Jesus and John the Baptist are cousins. Make sense? Uh, of course, Zechariah wants to control the entire situation. The angel Gabriel, who's there in the Holy of Holies, telling him about um, what's going on, uh, just rolls his eyes and then silences him for nine months and says, 
Uh, which is just fantastic. Why? Because one of the central journeys that we have as a human being is learning how to trust. Uh, and Zachariah, as a pastor, trying to teach people how to trust God, doesn't trust God. And so Gabriel goes, let's go back to the first grade and learn how to trust again. And then Elizabeth, the woman that you've never heard in public, I mean, you would never hear a priest's wife speak or declare anything in public 2,000 years ago in, in the ancient Near East. Elizabeth, who suffered the most from not having children, right, because they look at Zachariah and think, well, he must be fine because he's the priest, but they have, can't have kids because clearly she's not doing something. Elizabeth the one who has good reason maybe not to trust God because 50 years of longing and heartache, never being, your prayers never being answered. Elizabeth is the one who believes. She's the one who trusts. She's the one who rejoices. And I love in the Gospel of Luke that literally um, we never hear a Zachariah sermon, but we do hear Elizabeth sing a song. Isn't that great? So... Luke, this is where we left off last week. Uh, would you read this with me? Luke chapter 1, verse 24. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. When you read that in the Greek, you can see that it's almost lyrical. It's a, it's a song. She's, it's like she's busting out singing. She can't contain herself. I want you to pay attention to that phrase. In these days, the Lord has shown his favor. Okay. Then Luke changes scenes. We go from one scene, from one woman to another woman. We have a time stamp, which is that she's been in hiding for five months. Sometimes when you're pregnant, you don't want anybody to know, right? Does that make sense? Did you ever do that when you were pregnant, right? Some of you screamed it from the rooftop. Some of you waited for 20 weeks to make sure everything was fine, right? Um, some of you didn't even know till you were six months along. That's cool, <laughs> right? Uh, so, but no matter what, she's like, she, she, she waits. She waits and waits and waits and waits, maybe just to be sure, because five months, the baby's kicking, and she put the remote on her belly, and then it started moving. She's like, I think it's, this is it, right? Um, so... The, the, this is remarkable literature, number one, because in no other ancient source of literature do we have scenes with women in them, let alone the wife of a pastor, and who cares about the pastor? Let's hear from her. And now we're going to a teenage girl in Maricopa, okay? Does that make sense? Nobody interviews these kinds of people, not today, not way back when. So here we go. In the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth. And you're thinking, where's that? And so Luke says, it's just this podunk dirt place in Galilee, right? And he doesn't even say it's near a larger city. He's just saying it's in the Galilee. It's in, you know, just... It, in the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to a trailer park in the south. Okay? That's what we're talking about here. Does that make sense? 
to a nowhere place in the sticks, okay? And to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. So we have a 14-year-old girl, maybe a 16-year-old boy, a descendant of David. Read with me. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel went to her and said, okay, so just FYI, she's got no power, no influence, no fame, no education except that which her parents have given her, no influence, and the world would say that this 14-year-old girl is either meaningless, irrelevant, or insignificant, and God chooses to notice and affirm Mary's worth and significance. I wonder if you can hear that for yourself right now. You are entitled to absolutely nothing. You are not owed anything on this earth. And you certainly don't want God to answer your prayers based on what you're owed. Somebody say amen. amen. You do not want God to answer your prayers based on what is fair. A amen? amen? Have you told that to your children or grandchildren ever? Right? They'll say, that's not fair. And you're like, oh, you want fair? Pay rent. Now, let's go. <laughs> right? Hand them the bill after the every dinner. They're like, I don't want to do dishes. Great. You know, leave a tip. You know, 20% at least. Fair or what you're owed is a poverty that you cannot imagine. I hurt the ones that... I love sometimes. Sometimes I struggle with being self-righteous. I don't want to be wrong. I want to be right. I will downplay or diminish the things that I've done. It's not that big a deal. I didn't mean it that way. Whatever. No, no, you're misinterpreting me. And that ugliness is rooted in, in the lie that I have to be right. Otherwise, I'll fall apart. And that is part of the lie of living independent from God. Does that make sense? You cannot establish your own worth or significance based on you being perfect or being enough so that you're entitled to or owed good things. Making sense? We know that in our brain until we run into it in our lives. When someone has the courage to confront you, say thank you. Does that make sense? Because they're helping you understand that you're not Jesus. <laughs> I had friends do that with me this week. Thank you. Thank you for confronting me. I had to re-remember that I'm not Jesus. The hope of the gospel is this, you are worthy of love and God wants to give you and bless you with an absolutely beautiful life 
not because you've done something right to earn it, but because Jesus has done everything on your behalf. Somebody say amen to that. You are carved into the palm of his hands. No matter how far away you think you are from him, you're not. He loves you. His eyes are always on you. Jesus grants you the beauty and the earning and the standing that he has. Does that make sense? It's all a gift. And so for those of us who say, oh, no, I'm fantastic, I'm fine, all that, and oh, I'm better than you, I'm self-righteous, that's me, by the way. That was this last week for me. God humbles us and says, no, 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 no. We are all in the same boat, all of us. Does that make sense? No one is better than anybody else. And for those of us who feel absolutely like dirt and like we, we're horrible and we're awful, and that's how I also felt this week when I realized I'd made a mistake because that's a common thing that I do in my life is that I'll get arrogant and proud and then someone will call me out on it and then I will beat the tar out of myself and diminish myself and say, I'll oh, pretend I'm not worth anything. Another common mistake. Both are sides of the same coin called self-centeredness. But when your center is on God, what does he say? You're not better than anybody, so you're humbled. And also, you're not worse than anybody, so you're lifted up. In fact, you're, we're all on the exact same playing field, which is this. We are worth everything to Jesus. We are worth the blood of God himself shed on an instrument of torture and death so that we might know that we are absolutely and 100% loved and we belong to him. Amen? Amen? So yeah, Mary lives in Maricopa. And that's got nothing to do with her worth or significance or value. Doesn't matter how much is in your bank account, where you're from, what's going on in your life, how, how much things are unraveling or falling apart, how successful and brilliant you are. Your worth is given to you by God. So what does the angel say? Verse 28, read with me. Gabriel said... Oh, there's that, there's that phrase again, Okay. Highly favored. Ooh, that's code for you're going to have a baby. <laughs> Greetings, you who are highly pregnant, right? Uh, and may, maybe Mary thought this. I'm, I, I live in Nazareth in a Roman-occupied territory. I live with my parents. I'm about to live with my husband-to-be. Uh, I'm going to marry a teenager. Uh, I'm going to have a baby. This is highly favored. I don't think so. This is called a panic attack. Uh, but notice what the angel says. You are highly favored. The Lord is with you. What does that even mean? Well, Mary's about to find out. But first, we're going to find out how Mary feels. Verse 29. Read this with me. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Okay, last week, the same angel showed up to Gabriel or Zechariah like six months earlier, right? Okay, remember what Zechariah did, right? 
he was literally terrified, like almost a, like he couldn't, like he was absolutely in a panic, terrified. And, and Mary, who, when the same angel shows up to her, she's not scared at all of him. She's more like, you say what? Right? How does Luke know this? Well, because Luke interviewed her. Luke sat down with her. Wait, so tell me again the story. Gabriel shows up, and you weren't scared of him? She's like, nah. I was more worried about what he said. Okay. So Mary then tells Luke about this picture of tension and wonder and fear and exhilaration all happening at the same time. Verse 30. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. This is a very common name in, the, in, in Israel. Jesus just is, is uh, Yeshua in Hebrew, or what we would call Joshua today. So if your name is Joshua, or you know a Joshua, that's a Hebrew name. It's the same letters as Jesus. Does that make sense? Common name. And it means the Lord saves. That's the name of the mean uh, of Jesus' name. But in a nanosecond, a million thoughts run through Mary's head. Wait, say that last part again. You know I'm not technically married, right? How's this going to happen? Wait, what's going to happen with Joseph? How this is so awkward. Wait, what about his rep, what about his reputation? My reputation? Oh my gosh. Wait, I'm having a boy. Wait, what did you say again? Right? Like there is. Like, it's just this moment where it's like it happens, and then you wonder, how is this going to work out? Uh, a couple years ago, uh, I made a- apple pie for Thanksgiving. I'd make apple pie every year for Thanksgiving. I love making apple pies. Uh, and so we went to Seat Canyon Fruit Ranch, and we got the Brayburn um, uh, uh, apples, and they weren't that very good this year, but that year, but then the Arkansas black had the perfect amount of sweetness and tartness in it. You know what I'm talking about? You know, so good. And so basically, the way that you make an apple pie according to the joy of cooking and uh, trade secrets <laughs> is this. Uh, you're basically making a caramel sauce, right? You're making a caramel sauce in a pan. You're sweating the apples because then they're releasing the apple juice, which is just all the sugar and then you put the brown sugar and the butter and, and a little bit of cornstarch to thicken it into uh, the, the, the middle of these apples, and you're making caramel apples, and then you pour the whole thing into a pie shell, you throw it in the oven, and voila, right? Not complicated, but lots of fun. And so here I was, and, and I, I, I had made the caramel sauce, and I had sweated the apples, and I created this little space in the apples, and I poured the caramel sauce into the apples, and I realized, oh my gosh, I forgot the cornstarch. No problem, right? I'll just put just like a teaspoon of cornstarch in, thicken it up, it'll be perfect, and when I hit the box with my finger with the cornstarch, right, a a full cup of of cornstarch came out, right? And I was like, oh no, and I only had that many Arkansas black apples to make that pie, like that was it, right? And so I scooped out as much as I could, and then I'm stirring it, and it's all clumpy, and it looks like caramel snot, and I'm like, (laughs) 
what do I do? What do I do? And it was just awful. And it was like, I'm, I'm, I got guests coming over the next day. I'm not going to, here's apple snot pie. Like, I can't like do that. That'd be terrible, right? And so it was like, what in the heck am I going to do? And I was like, and I was like, okay, I'm just going to put this whole thing together uh, and throw it in the oven. And then next morning, got up, went to the grocery store, bought apples just from Food for Less, came home, quick, made a pie, came out perfect. And so I had these two pies um, that day. And, and I had absolutely no certainty. It was this moment in which I was making something of my life, something that was good, and then a cup of cornstarch then just wreaked havoc into my little nice plans. By the way, pie turned out perfect. You can have caramel snot in your pie from cornstarch, and it all melts, and it was fantastic. Um, so just FYI, don't freak out if you ever dump a bunch of cornstarch into something, okay? Why am I telling you this story? Uh, because Mary had absolute zero certainty in her life, zero control, zero power, and God asks her to surrender. Um, but the thing is, is with Mary's life is that she can't make another pie, right? God is asking her to die to her plans, to die to her priorities, to surrender her reputation, her future, her family, to lay down her entire life into God's capable hands and trust God completely with his plan. And there's got to be a good reason why God wants Mary to have Jesus. And gratefully, the angel keeps on talking to give Mary some hope. Verse 32, read with me. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him from the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Whoa. Now, like... Every Jew in Mary's day knew particular passages. They knew Isaiah chapter 7, that a virgin would give birth to a son and they would name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. They knew Isaiah 9, 6, that the Messiah would be called Wonderful Counselor and Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And Mary hears the name of her son, the Savior of the world, the Messiah, Jesus, and she she, all these verses are flashing through her head, and she's going, oh my gosh, I'm about to have the Savior of the world. God asks Mary to carry around the Savior of the world in her own body. Can you imagine that pregnancy if you're a woman, right? No, I'm not. You're, you're snotty. Put on a mask. I got the Savior of the world in here, right? Back off, you know? Can you imagine? Joseph, I need a pickle now. This God himself is wanting a pickle now, right? And ice cream. Give me ice cream, too. And a double cheeseburger. Every girl's dream in Israel was to have the sacred honor of being mother to the Messiah, to bear or carry the savior of the world in your body. I mean, this is like, this is the greatest honor any woman could ever have in, in, that, in, that, Jews, in that time of thinking as, as, as a Jewish woman. Except, except, except if you're not married. That's a wee little complication. Mary then says, how will this be since 
you know. <laughs> and unlike Zechariah, when Mary asks a question, it's not a demand for certainty. It's, it's an inquiry about what's happening in her own body. Uh, she'd like to know if she's required to, you know, do something to make this happen. How do I, you know, do I have to break my marriage vows to Joseph? How's this going to work? It's a technical question. But it's, it's, it's real similar to the questions we ask God all the time. H- how are you going to fix this impossible situation, God? How, uh, you know, I, I've been wounded, and, and, and what's going to happen here? Um, how am I going to get rest today? My kids are hanging on me like chimpanzees. Um, I, God, I have these financial pressures in my life. This is the income that I have. I don't know how you're going to provide because it's not adding up. God, my body is falling apart. Lord, what are you going to do? Like, I really need your help right now. This diagnosis is terrifying. What do we do? What do we do with that cancer that we can't beat or the child that we feel like we cannot save or help? All of us wonder all the time about how God is going to accomplish his good and perfect and pleasing will in our lives. We wonder, God, how how are you going to show up in the middle of this? Is this on me or is this you? Like, what's happening here? Mary wonders how God will accomplish his will, and at the same time, Mary is trusting that God is still loving and good and kind and gracious. Look, God is totally fine if you wonder, if you say to him, how the heck are you going to do this? Does that make sense? Faith isn't like just like not talking to God about your concerns. Faith is, I have the kind of relationship with Jesus where I can go, excuse me? What are you, what's happening here now? Like, what's going on? I'm saying that in trust, but also like, help, please show me what to do next. That's faith. In this holy moment, Mary is asking God and trusting God at the exact same time. So the angel Gabriel is about to explain How the same Holy Spirit who hovered over the darkness, over the waters, over the formless creation in Genesis chapter 1, and out of nothing made something, how that same Holy Spirit is now going to hover over Mary, over that which is formless and void within her own womb, and out of nothing make Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit does, by the way. That's creation. Out of your nothingness, God creates something. Out of your brokenness and darkness, God pulls out something beautiful or makes something beautiful appear where there was none before because that's what God does. Amen? So Gabriel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, meaning like, like hover over you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. That word overshadow literally means to envelop in a haze of brilliance. So Gabriel's saying this. Listen, Mary, when you sleep, what's going to happen 
is that the Holy Spirit's going to hover over you, hover over you, and is going to cover you like, in a, like a tent of, of brilliant light. So the Holy One to be born will then be called. Not the son of Joseph, but the son of God. And then the angel Gabriel reassures Mary again, you're not alone. Verse 36, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her own age. So you could text her. She'd be fine, right? (laughs) And she who was said to be unable to conceive is now in her sixth month. So when Mary doubted, when Mary was afraid, when Mary was totally terrified, she could, she was, she's literally going to leave here and go be with Elizabeth and say, help me figure this out, and Elizabeth will be with her all the way through John the Baptist's birth. Then Gabriel finishes with this flourish. This is what the angel says. Verse 37, read with me. God's promise to you will never fail. Why is this true? There you go. Here's why this is true. Why is God's promise to you, why, why will God's promise to you never fail? Because God is intensely interested in you. God has bound himself to you. God has, it, it, God's history is welded to your history. God knit you together in your mother's womb. He knows your name, he knows your history, he knows your story. You, your face is literally embossed seared, engraved onto the palm of his hand. He loves you. God isn't afraid of your pain or your failures or your weakness or your doubt. God doesn't say, figure that out and come to me. God actually, like Matt's song, he came near to us. God comes near to those. It's not, oh, come all ye faithful. It's come all ye unfaithful. Come all ye unfaithful to God and figure out that God has been with you every step of the way, and that's when you'll have faith. Does that make sense? Mary and Elizabeth and millions upon billions of Christians before us are all singing of God's goodness in heaven. Right now. Right now. Right now, they're singing in heaven of God's goodness. Hear their song. God is hovering over the chaos of your life, this chaos that we're in right now. And you think, how could anything good come of this? And God's like, don't you worry, I got a plan. And I'm working on that plan right now. That's who God is, that's what God does. God's grace and generosity towards you will never fail. Read that with me. God's grace and generosity towards you will never fail. Next one, read this with me. God's plan for your blessing and your best will never fail. Yeah, but Andy, things are tough right now. What, do you think Mary and Joseph didn't have any problems? God's blessing and love for you doesn't mean that your life is going to be puppy dog kisses and butterflies and fairy tales from out. You live in a broken world. We live in a, you have broken bodies. You're still all jacked up. (laughs) Right? Look, 
Like God's love isn't negated by the, thing, by the fact that things are hard. O- only America in the last 50 years has assumed that everything should be fantastic all the time. Everybody from previous to 1970 realized life is a hot freaking mess, and if anything good happens, then that's the miracle. Does that make sense? What's going to happen to Joseph and Mary? First, nine months pregnant, Mary's going to ride a donkey for 90 miles. For those women of you who have been pregnant, anybody want to sign up for a donkey ride for 90 miles? No. I bet you Mary walked like 75 of them. You ride the donkey, Joseph. I'm walking. Dang. My legs are swollen, my hips hurt, kidneys are on fire, baby won't stop kicking my spine. You ride the donkey, right? You were listening. Make sense? What's going to happen next? They're going to show up in Bethlehem, they're going to have a baby in a barn. Great. Fantastic. Right? They're there for a while. It's the summertime. They're there in Bethlehem for six months trying to figure it out. By the time that winter rolls around in December, the stars align. The wise men show up. Jesus is six months old. I don't know where they're living, right? Maybe still in the barn, maybe somewhere else. Maybe they got a little condo there in Bethlehem. I don't know. They're figuring it out, right? They're like, well, we're not going home to Nazareth. Why? You don't bring a 14-year-old home that you're not married to with your child and say, God gave it to us, right? So they're like, what are we going to do? And Joseph's like, you know, doing Uber Eats and like trying to figure it out. And like they're poor and they've got nothing, right? They got like one ratty couch and that's it, right? And, And then what happens? Oh, the government tries to kill them. And they have to run for their lives to Egypt. Right? Can you imagine fleeing here and you have to go to New Mexico? (laughs) You would think God hates me, right? Or even worse, Bakersfield, right? We have four people from Bakersfield, right? And they're, they're desperately trying to come here. Or Oildale, even worse. You know I mean? I'm stuck. It's awful, you know? That's not evidence that God doesn't love you, right? Bad things are going to happen in your life. That's not evidence that God doesn't love you. God didn't want those people to make those decisions. God didn't plan for your betrayal. God didn't want the world to be broken. God didn't ask you to be disobedient and have that thing happen. That's not God's will and plan for your life. Don't blame God for that. Sometimes bad things happen. That God overcomes the brokenness world, that's hope. And that's why no word from God ever fails. So what does trusting God look like? Here's where we're gonna learn from a 14-year-old girl. This is where a junior high girl can teach us something about life, okay? Read verse 38, what Mary says. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel left her. 
I am the Lord's servant. I am, I, I am the Lord's slave. I will do what God wants me to do. How do you get to that place in your life? Let me tell you about how I fell flat on my face this last week. Remember that, how I, I, I was being a little bit self-righteous and then my friends called me out and then I beat myself up, right? And, and that those two responses or ways of living are, are, are both, they're just two sides of the same coin which is just, my life is all about me. I, I'm navel gazing, right? How am I doing? How am I, how am I doing? Am I doing okay? Am I doing all right? Am I, do people like me, right? Am I enough? Am I doing okay? How do I feel? Did I get my feelings hurt? Am I doing all right? How am I doing in there? You in there, little guy? How are you? Right? Uh, literally, the definite, like when Martin Luther, the, 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 the reformer, translated what sin is, he literally translated it into German from Latin to sin to German, which is navel-gazing where we pick apart the belly button lint of our feelings and our emotions because we're just focused on us. You cannot serve God or anyone else if you are only focused on you because then you will serve other people so that they will have the reaction that you're looking for so that you feel better about yourself. And you apologize to people not because you're sorry that you hurt them, but you're sorry that they called you out and you don't wanna be in trouble. The focus isn't on the fact that you've hurt them, the focus is the fact that you're now in trouble. So the focus is still on you. Does that make sense? Oh, that's what I did. I lost my ever-loving mind. And we do that sometimes. You don't have to. You see, when you believe the gospel that, that Jesus even in the midst of your brokenness, he died for you, then you could never ever diminish yourself or believe that you are worthless. You, and you have to actually combat that lie and say, I am, I'm amazing. I'm worth everything. I am precious in God's sight. I am, I, I'm, I'm, I am not horrible and awful. I am a beloved child of the King of Kings. And at the exact same time, the moment that you think that you're going to get a big head and, ooh, look at me, I got my eyebrows all done, I'm perfect, I put a string of like three or four good decisions together, I must be better than everybody else, wrong, no, you're just like everybody else. So the gospel lifts you up from the dust and also humbles you at the exact same time. And what the gospel does, the good news of what Jesus has done, what it does for you is it allows you finally to say, I don't need to worry about me anymore. In fact, the God of the universe who's madly in love with me enough to die for me and be born into this hot mess of your humanity and then live a life I could never live, if that's, that, since that's true, that must mean that when God asks me to do something, he actually wants me to do it because it will lead to the most joy I've ever had in my entire life. Does that make sense? Like God doesn't say to you, hey, 
I'm going to die for you and go to hell and suffer excruciating pain and beat death. Um, and then I'm going to ask you to do something because I want to make your life miserable. But when I am focused on myself, what I think of suspiciously every time God asks me to do anything is, nah, I'll probably, I have a better plan for me. How's that work out for you when you do what I do? Somebody say terrible. Yes, terrible, right? Oh my goodness, but surrendering and trusting and saying, Jesus, I'm all yours. I'm your servant. I'll do what you have me to do. How much joy did Mary have? How much joy does Mary have right now? How honored is Mary right now in all of human history? A 14-year-old girl made that decision and it changed the trajectory of her life for all eternity. It has brought her unending joy for all eternity. Yeah, there was some hard times. Yeah, there was some awful pain. And in the middle of all of that, God do, did what she never thought was possible. Listen, how, who do you think taught Jesus how to say in the middle of his pain, not my will, be done, but your will. Like when Jesus was in the garden. Now, he didn't want to be tortured to death. How did he know that prayer? It's because his mom taught him. Would you pray this prayer with me? Denise, it's the next slide. This one, yes. Jesus, I am yours. I hand over my will, my agenda, and my plan for my life to you. I give you my power and my helplessness, Jesus. May your will be done and your kingdom come in my life. I am your servant. Jesus, for those of us who maybe prayed that prayer for the first time in a very long time, Lord, bless it and seal it. For those of us, we just have this place in our life, this person, this situation, this diagnosis, this need, this want, this dream, and we've not trusted you with that, and now we're praying this prayer, God, your kingdom come and your will be done Jesus, we're yours. And for those of us who've never prayed a prayer like this ever in our entire lives, and maybe this is the first day that we'll ever trust you and call you our savior, Jesus, fill my friends with the Holy Spirit now. Renew them. Thank you for your forgiveness. Restore them. Thank you that you will hover over the darkness of their own life and create in them a brand new spirit, your spirit, to dwell with them for now until all eternity. Jesus, we're yours. We love you. 
and we trust you. And we thank you for a 14-year-old junior high girl who said yes, and we now say yes too. And all God's people said, Amen. Would you stand? We have incredible food for you outside. A big thank you to Barb Cotton and, and Mary Lou de Leon and, and all of the people who helped. We're just so grateful for you guys. And if you want to join us across the street for Table Talk, please do so. I can't wait to see you this Wednesday for our Christmas dinner. You guys, we have a show for you. <laughs> Cannot wait. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance, that's his delight in you, and give you the peace that passes all understanding. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. You guys have a great day. Pastor Andy Rock is the senior pastor of Coastal Community Church. It's located in Grover Beach, California, and serves communities across the Central Coast. Join us online each week on Sunday morning at 9 a.m. for our weekly live stream. We also have two in-person services at 9 a.m. and 1040 a.m. in our sanctuary. Coastal Community Church is located at 1830 Farrell Road, Grover Beach, California. 